Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. This morning, we have the absolute pleasure of having Mr. Dan Waddle on with us this morning. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Vernon. And uh, you're the Senior Vice President of the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, known as NRECA. And you get a chance to go around the world putting in electricity in different communities. How do you like that work? That's been my life vocation. I've been doing this uh, with NRECA for the past uh, 31 years, uh, but have been working with rural communities since the late 70s. Okay, your life's work. So I guess if it's your life's work, you really enjoy it. It's something that says that you like to take engineering applications and apply it to agricultural production and biomass energy conservation. What is that? <laughs> I'm not sure which um, CV you're drawing from, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's an old one. I uh, began my career with a focus on biomass combustion, basically using uh, refuse from agricultural products to uh, convert to usable energy. So we don't do much of that anymore at, at NRECA. We uh, typically use <clears throat> power generated from conventional or from renewable sources um, to power communities. And the technologies that we use are, I think, pretty well known by all the listeners. Uh, we use a lot of solar these, these days. Uh, but we also use uh, conventional energy resources from hydroelectric and uh, central station power plants. Okay. So you go around the world in these different communities and you electrify them, bring electricity. Can you give us an example of a community? What What is one of the communities you, you've done? Well, as we were preparing for this interview, I was thinking back on some of the more memorable projects we've done in my career. And I think the the project that was is most memorable is uh, we actually uh, financed that project almost by accident. Um, I've been working in Bolivia for a couple of years. This is back in the early 90s on a project that was financed by USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development. Uh, the focus of which was to um, to support economic development in areas of um, promote. Uh, community um, expansion. At that time, there was, uh, as you may remember, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, the U.S. was engaged in what we called the war on drugs, and um, so that uh, Bolivia was one of the one of the centers of, of coca production. The projects we were we were doing at that time were supposed to be in, in areas outside of the coca production zones. So that was our focus. And uh, but there was this this community um, just outside of La Paz whose members, whose uh, leaders would come down to our office every week. So we were working, we were, our central office in, it was, was in La Paz. The projects we were doing were in Cochabamba. 
and USAID was very adamant that we should only work in Cochabamba. Because uh, the, there was no the, drugs in coca? No, the, 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 the coca production was happening in the in the tropical zones of Cochabamba and another uh, part of, of, of the Yucas. So uh, we were focused on our projects in that, in that geographic area. But these community members would come down uh, to our office almost every week, and they would tell us that they, that they really wanted to, to work with us. This went on for a year and a half, almost two years. Wow. Uh, one day I, I decided, okay, let's, let's, you know, let me explain to them why we can't work with them. And in this conversation, the, uh, the leader of their group said something that was, on the one hand, very poetic, but also very heart-rendering. He said that every night he and his family would look down on the lights of the city and hope that one day they could, they could have the same service. Um, I didn't realize these, uh, th this community was situated right on the escarpment overlooking La Paz. Now, uh, La Paz is a, a city which is built, it uh, starts at about 11,000 feet, I'm sorry, it starts at 12,000 feet and goes down to about 10,000 feet on the escarpment. They were sitting on the, on, the, on the ledge of the Altiplano looking over into the city. So to me, that was just an intolerable situation. So the, the, the next week, me and my team went up to, the, to these 16 communities situated on, uh, on the escarpment, and we decided at that point to, to fundraise. So we, we, we uh, worked with our sponsors in the U.S., we worked with, with, with USAID, and over the next 12 months put together a, a, a project that was, was built in 1993. So let me, let me get this straight, Dan. The, these communities are overlooking La Paz. La Paz has electrification. They have lights at night. So I take it before the electrification, these communities have no electricity? Is they had no electricity. They were within, I mean, literally within eyesight of, you know, La Paz was a, a city of about a million um, inhabitants uh, served by the power company that had been there for previous 40 years. Um, and this was just, you know, a very small set of, of communities. Probably, I think there were maybe 4,000 uh, people uh, and about uh, 1,000 households. But um, far enough away from the existing lines that it wasn't economic for the for the utility to, to connect them. But you know, like I said, it was uh, for me. It was uh, I, I just couldn't see how we could NRECA could be in the country for the purpose of expanding electric electri electricity access and let this this the situation go without uh, doing our, our our best to to provide them service. And thankfully, with a lot of uh, goodwill from our, our sponsors, uh, we were able to put together the, the funds and work with the, the, the local uh, electricity corporation and to make the project happen. No electricity means you cannot do any homework at night. You, 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 there's no such thing as dishwashers or refrigerators or any of those things because you, you don't have electricity to run them. So it is a right. very rural community, agriculture-based, I assume. Yes. Well, you know, this is a, a uh, uh, an indigenous community, so they were, you know, they they had some some small businesses, but basically the the form of light that they're using back in those days, this is sort of pre-solar. They were using what they called macheros, which are are little kerosene-based lamps, right? Mm -hmm. uh, homemade, and the light that the that the machero would, would would produce was very dim, and the and the lamp would put off a lot of soot. So. It was uh, 
unhealthy because it's what is in the inside of the house and it gets into the respiratory system, then it was you, you couldn't really read by it, right? It, it put out a very low quality light. That was all they had. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of reminds me of growing up in West Virginia. We had coal that we heated the house with, and mm-hmm. there would be always be soot everywhere. Okay. Right. We cooked with it, and we and we uh, heated the house with it, but not kerosene. I guess kerosene would even be worse than the soot from coal. All right. So we got these communities. They can't read by them. It's environmentally bad for them how they're lighting. <coughs> And they want the electricity. They can see it when they go to sleep at night or when they're after dinner. When they look out, they see the light from Laplace and they want it. And they come and they tell you every week. They come and tell you. That's right. They're very persistent. <laughs> and it's, you know, at first I, I was, I have to admit, you know, at first I was thinking, well, that's not my job. Or, you know, we've got to focus on what USAID has uh, contracted us to do. But, you know, I think that all of us have this um, this capacity to hear when somebody says something that opens our hearts. And that, that, that ring of, of hope, not just for themselves, but for their children and for their neighbors, for their community members, is what really rung true to me. And it, it, I have to say that I think that, that was the most, uh, that one project, it was a very small project compared to uh, the other things that we were doing. That project had as much of an impact me as uh, on me as any other project we ever did. You, uh, you got what this leader wanted, and he they were very persistent. Every week they come to your office, and they right. say, "This is what we want." You finally got it, and you were able to get some support. So that support comes in dollars, and that dollars uh, one of the ways is support is in dollars. So that was from USAID. You would make proposals to them. Well, we we put some of our own money in it. I think the project cost was I, I think it was maybe one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. So we put fifty thousand dollars in from NRECA. We uh, worked with the as I said the uh, it was a private utility uh, back in those days. It was called Kobe, and they uh, we we um, made a deal with them where they would finance the. The primary, the, the the medium voltage lines, and we we um, um, finance the the transformers and the distribution. USAID allowed us to uh, use our resources, our personnel. Uh, so USAID made a a, um, a contribution in the form of the personnel cost for, for the project, the engineering cost. All of the materials, however, were financed through NRECA funds and COBE funds. So, um, you know, I, I, to me, it was, uh, you know, you, you talk about doing good works for your community. Um, this is something that was just, it was necessary. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we're able to convince our our, our uh, friends at Kobe to, to work with us and at USA to allow us to, to do the project. And you said this was 19 what? what when was it? 1993. 1993. So you 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 outlined what this was like, this community was like before with these kerosene lamps and soot and so forth, and their desire uh, for something better for their families and their community, their children. What has this community been like after after this? Well, um, you know what I have to remind myself and our listeners is that. Um, 
public infrastructure, the benefits of public um, infrastructure often take time uh, to take root. I'd say in the first few years after the project was completed, uh, without question, the families received improved quality of of, um, electric service, and they had individual um, benefits. That I, I don't think that, that you know when I, I I visited the community I think in uh, 1997 and then again back in uh, 2010 there is a big change by 2010. Now how much of that was due to the project and how much was due to the natural process of, econ- of economic development I can't really say. The community grew. Uh, that certainly that the the population grew from you know about a thousand households to almost doubled that by, by, by 2010. I think that that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't had the Next public question. services that they had. But they and also had schools. Go ahead. We, we're going to have to take our first break. Okay. I'm going to come back and, and, and ask you to expand a little bit more on what it was like afterwards. And then I want to get into what did you do to prepare for this work? What, 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 what kind of things did you do to prepare for it? And we'll Very be good. right back. Please don't touch that down. where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Noakes, and the program is Everything Cooperative, and we have Mr. Dan Waddle on with us this morning. He's the Senior Vice President at NRECA, National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, and he's gone around the world, and he's helped to electrify communities, particularly in rural areas. And we were talking about Bolivia right outside of La Plaza. Dan, uh, you were talking about the, before we took break, that there were 1,000 households in 1993. By 2010, it was up to perhaps doubling of that, brought on by electrification, brought on by economic uh, development. What else did you see change when you went back and visited them in nineteen in twenty ten? I think the big change was uh, a vibrant school that was uh, had the resources it needed for for the children. Um, of course, the, they had a school before, but the, the, there was uh, there was no lighting system in the school. There were no audiovisual aids. There weren't any of the, the modern pair of, uh, the uh, modern equipment that, that that schools need for education. And there were also uh, many more stores. Of course, the stores were were all connected to the electric service that was uh, had been established in the community. Street lights. I think one of the big things that uh, we take for granted in, in the U.S. is the importance of street lights. Uh, street lights are principally for uh, public security, and this is extremely important in many of the uh, countries where we work uh, because uh, violence against women is is a, is a very uh, real thing. So uh, street lights uh, uh, in this community, I think, were extremely important. So there's much more of a sense of vibrancy than there, than there had been previously. So what prepared you? What, what's your education background? I have uh, my first degrees are in agricultural engineering. My doctorate is in mechanical engineering. I prepared myself, actually. I thought that I was going to have a career in, in agriculture. But as I was going through my graduate studies, I fell in love with energy. And um, uh, the first uh, the first job I had focused on uh, a combination of, of teaching and doing uh, projects, and, uh, uh, energy projects with rural communities. This was in Kenya back in uh, starting in 79 through 82. 
and uh, just kind of followed my, my my interest from that point forward. How did you get a job in Kenya? I had lived in Ethiopia when I was uh, a kid. My my father was in the military. He's in the army. Uh, the U.S. used to have a, a base in uh, in what is now Eritrea. At that time, it was Ethiopia, and uh, not in Addis. Um, anyway, the, because I was in Kenya, in in, uh, in Eritrea, I had an interest in, in returning to to Africa. And one of my uh, college professors uh, uh, had worked in, in Kenya and told me about a project there. And as I was completing my, my, my master's degree and put me in touch with the people who were interviewing for, for the position. So I took a teaching position in 1979. Teaching position and teaching agriculture engineering? Yep. Teaching agriculture engineering at a, the um, it's a university called uh, Edgerton University in Njaro. Uh, so I was teaching the individuals who were um, destined to become agricultural agents and uh, uh, designers for, for the agriculture in, industry in, in, in Kenya. So what are some of the kind of projects that an agriculture engineer works on? I have no idea uh, what that looks like. In that right. Well, it's actually that uh, the entire industry has shifted somewhat. Uh, when I was... Um, uh, engaged in agricultural engineering, the agricultural engineers would design farm implements, tractors. Uh, I was interested in energy, so um, I, I worked with um, the agricultural system in, in Virginia. I went to I went to Virginia Tech for my first two degrees, and uh, worked with the poultry and, and dairy uh, industry, uh, looking at, at animal environment, uh, designing the, you know, the, the structures and the ventilation systems they needed. That wasn't ultimately what, what my interest uh, was. So I, I became much more interested in, in um, energy uh, heat transfer and, and uh, energy generation. Fantastic. You got a chance to travel at a very young age with your, with your father, and that's what you wanted to do. I, uh, Virginia Tech, um, from Bluefield, West Virginia, was huge. It, it had a tremendous reputation. Um, I ended up going to Bluefield State College. Virginia Tech was out of my reach from a from a monetary standpoint. Uh, back I was I was in '65. I was a little bit ahead of you, in time wise. Never thought about agriculture. Engineering was always interesting to me, but agriculture. And then you switch from agriculture engineering, or at least you added on to that. Um, energy. How did you get interested in energy? Well, when I was in high school, I think you probably remember we went through several energy shocks in the early 70s. Um, my father at that time had a gas station, so we saw it firsthand with the long gas lines. And and uh, there was uh, a lot of interest at that point in time in s- switching from conventional fossil fuel energy to to renewables, not because of any concerns over global warming, just to uh, have more energy independence. So when I went into university, I, the first few research projects I, I engaged with and were, were all solar-based, and uh, or the, the focus was on uh, solar thermal applications. And uh, you know, I, I realized that I, I had a, a great interest in, in renewables. So that's you know what what led me to. Uh, uh, to focus more on um, energy processes in my in my undergraduate and graduate studies. All right. So, 
how did you get to NRECA? What was that path like? When I finished my doctorate, uh, I went to work at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and uh, had been managing some projects, uh, USAID funded in uh, Central America, where we were looking at uh, some, we were developing some small hydro uh, resources. And I, I uh, came across uh, uh, one of NRECA's uh, uh, employees at the time who was working on a cooperative formation project in Costa Rica. So we decided to join resources and um, we worked on a, a series of uh, small hydro projects for a group of cooperatives uh, that NRC had been supporting. And I you know, saw the, the kind of work that NRC was, was doing and uh, realized that it was uh, an institution that I might want to work with. Okay. So what was your first job at NRECA? The project in, in, in Bolivia. Uh, I was uh, from the, the experience with NRECA in Costa Rica. I uh, was invited to or asked to design a, a pro- this project in, in, in Bolivia that was uh, a large national uh, electrification expansion project. Uh, we were we ended up working in uh, literally um, all over Bolivia, uh, but the, the experience of, uh, of uh, helping communities in their economic development through introduction of, of electric service, it, I just realized that it was the kind of work that I really resonated with. That the it's really the the combination of community development and engineering applications that, that really um, spoke to me. Okay, community development and engineering applications. How did NRECA, particularly NRECA's National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, how did this cooperation get involved with this community development? What did you find out about cooperatives? Well, that's really what. I understand cooperatives are all about. The cooperatives uh, focus the the resources and the energy of the community to benefit the community as a whole. And that comes in many forms. Uh, I think the most um, visual form is in uh, economic prosperity. But it also has, it also comes in a form of the community realizing what it means to live as a community, to, to help one another. Uh, I think it's that combination of, you know, a practical focus on moving the, the, the community's um, economic development forward with this this cooperative spirit that uh, that has really been my focus and the work that I've done. Okay, can you tell me what this cooperative spirit is? What is what's, what's your experience with that? Well, I, uh, I think if you go back to the example that we started with. You know, the, the, the advocacy of a few community members to advocate for the, the benefit of the entire community. Now, there's, without question, there's personal interest involved, but it goes far beyond that. And I think that that's what really struck me when I was, I was speaking uh, with these community members. They were speaking for themselves, but they're speaking for the entire community and they are communicating the needs of the, of the entire community. So that, that cooperative spirit from you know, from my perception, has to do with the um, each community member recognizing what their their own needs are, but also recognizing that for them to realize those those needs, they have to be able to to work together. So, I have that as in the in the values of cooperation. The first one is self help. So it is self help, and I think the last one is solidarity. 
how do you help self and help the community all at the same time? That's the spirit you're talking about. We're going to take our second break and we'll be right back. And then I want to talk a little bit more about co-ops. And I'm going to see if you can tell us about another community that you've worked with and see what those results are. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and we've, we've been talking this morning with Dan Waddle from National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. Dan, we will be on the air for nine years come this October. It'll be celebrating nine years. And in that nine years, National Cooperative Bank has been our main supporter. Uh, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities by providing innovative financial and related services. Now, Dan, I, I find it interesting that you're an engineer. And as an engineer, I have this view of what an engineer is. Uh, I majored in math and chemistry in undergrad, and I had a slide rule and all of these kinds of things. And we, you're normally in front of paper figuring out stuff, how to, how to put this project together. But yet you've been talking about opening up your heart and hope for their children in the community and a cooperative spirit. You've been talking about these touchy-feely things, okay? And it seems like that is also what has lit you up about these projects. When you talked about these folks coming down, having seen the light in La Paz and wanting it for themselves. And it kind of gets me to the ethical values of cooperation, honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. I think of it's caring for one another, like the golden rule. So can you talk some more about this? What are the kinds of experiences you've had as it, these heart touchy feeling kinds of experiences, particularly with cooperation? I'd say that probably 95% of my work day is uh, focused on getting the job done, right? We have to be able to organize our time and, and uh, marshal resources do the things that have to be done and a lot of that is you know technical financial content but i think all human beings also want to um uh, well my experience is that all human beings uh want to make a contribution and it's uh i think it's uh the the small interactions that have real human content that that touch us and you know give us a sense of purpose and a sense of uh of uh, direction. So, well, I think that my colleagues would, uh, would, uh, you know, if, if you ask them what I'm like, they would probably say I'm, you know, serious and focused and uh, all the things you might think of as an engineer, but I'm also human. In, in my life experience, it's those, uh, those small interactions with um, counterparts that, that can really have an impact. They have, uh, it, 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 that certainly has, has been a case for me. Mostly seeing what communities need uh, and seeing how we can apply our resources, uh, the resources that our sponsors give to us and uh, that NRSA gives to us, uh, that, that, that has given me and my colleagues uh, direction. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, so I would like, if you would, can you give us another example somewhere around the world where you've gone in? and use this 95% of your work day to provide technical and financial contributions and touch people 
in such a way that warmed your heart and warmed theirs? Yeah, so over the years, uh, I've had the opportunity to work on many projects. I think one of the projects that really stands out was also in Bolivia. We uh, were working with a very large cooperative that's at that time was based in Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is a, a large regional city in the uh, eastern part of, of Bolivia. There was a, a group of uh, communities uh, to the north of, uh, of Santa Cruz City called Chicatania, which um, I think there were uh, half a dozen, no, I'm sorry, there were uh, eight communities uh, situated in a, a series of uh, what used to be missions. Uh, these were missions that were established in the in the 1700s, and the mission, the the, the towns uh, in each of these uh, uh, communities were um, had isolated generation systems that suffered from a lot of maintenance issues. Um, the distribution systems were in very poor condition, and we we um, had uh, worked with with our counterpart Cray, this, this co-op to evaluate the cost of, of uh, integrating all of these, uh, these, uh, these eight communities into a central generation station. So we did the engineering uh, to uh, evaluate what, what the cost would, would, would be uh, for the generation and the distribution systems and then work with, with, with Cray in the implementation of that project. This occurred and um, we did the engineering studies in uh, 1995. The project was completed in 1998. And as you were asking um, before about the, the impact, I, I went back in 2010, and to my uh, delight, the the, uh, the the communities had uh, really transformed. This happens to be an agricultural uh, rich area. There is so much more prosperity 10 years later than um, I had ever imagined. And I think uh, it wasn't only because of the, the investment and the electrification system. There was also a big investment in, in roads. But uh, without question, the electrification investment made a, made a huge uh, difference in these, in these communities. So when you say um, prosperity, is that prosperity like right now in the U.S.? You have the one percenters that get, uh, I think, 60 percent of every new dollar, some huge amount. And the 99 percenters split up to 40 percent. Was that prosperity, to best of your knowledge, did it trickle down or through cooperation, did it trickle up, <laughs> goose up? Did it go out to the masses of people or was it concentrated in the hands of a few people? The, of course, um, I'm speaking about my impressions. We didn't do a, a detailed economic uh, impact analysis uh, mm -hmm. as we sometimes do. The impressions I had were based upon a, uh, a field trip that I made with our, our cooperative partners. And what I'm speaking of is uh, improved housing, dramatically improved infrastructure, uh, the, uh, physical infrastructure in each of the towns, better roads, better schools, uh, and again, public lighting, and just a general sense of you know uh, walking through the, the, the towns and looking at the number of new businesses, um, locally owned businesses that had uh, evolved over time, a general sense of uh, much improved or much increased prosperity at the local level. Now, without question, there is investment that, 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 that came from the, uh, the wealthier uh, inhabitants in Santa Cruz who are investing in these communities. 
but uh, also without question, the community members themselves participated in the in the in the, in the prosperity that was that was uh, visually evident. So you have education, you have street lighting, you have small businesses, you have housing, roads, you have a lot of improvement that really helps everyday person that lives in those communities. And then there's this sense of you could feel it, that people feel better, (laughs) that hope, that living from day to day, better optimism about life. Okay. And of course, in our, in our business, we also measure prosperity by how much electricity people use. Because if they're not, if they can't afford the electricity, then they're not going. To, the, the load growth doesn't doesn't continue. So what we saw in the case of of these uh, of these uh, power systems is very steady and actually rapid load growth, which is a, a measure of the of the community's prosperity. So when they're using more electricity, that one means that they can afford it; they can pay for it. Now, does this co-op um, that owns the electrical grid, owns the generation and distribution, my sense of co-ops is that they're trying to provide this to their members, to these households, to the ones that have the meters at the least possible cost. They're not in it to make a profit. Is that what's happening in, in these communities? Yeah, uh, cooperatives in Bolivia are all uh, formed on a nonprofit basis. So they, in this in this case, the cooperative not only provides electricity service on a nonprofit basis, but in this case, the, the cooperative has invested in healthcare, in um, in, in nutrition programs. Uh, it, it has rolled its uh, its margins uh, that that are derived from uh, electricity sales back into the into the benefit the direct benefit of the of the communities that it serves. So now you've gotten to. I have it that co-ops and their members, the members in the co-ops elect the board of directors and both the members and the board decides what to do with the profits and it can go into three spaces. One is to keep in the business to help the growth, put in more uh, hardware or keep the hardware up to date. Second one is to provide money for the community. And that's what you've said in healthcare and nutrition and other ways they could in schools uh, mm-hmm. They could provide money for different kinds of things. And then the third thing is dividends uh, to give back money to their members. It's been my experience with talking to people about NRECA that a lot of the businesses, the co-ops in NRECA, both in the U.S. and overseas, they don't give back money to the members. Is that pretty much right? They just do it with lower cost of electricity? Well, and- the NRECA uh, members do provide capital credits back to their membership, usually in the form of a, a credit on their on their electricity bill. And they might do that. They may do that some years and not others. It depends upon how their other performance has, has, has been. Many of the co-ops who we, that, that we have established in our program, and we've established about 250 over the years, many of these other co-ops are, are generate reasonable margins, and um, they have the option of either reinvesting that into into growth, or to um, to um, provide capital credits to their to their membership. So that's a, that's done on an individual basis, and it's well, done according to what the, what, what the needs are. Okay, so that's exciting to me because I did not know that this capital credit. So it's like on my electric bill, what may show up one day is a credit. 
you know, not only do I get how much I owe, but it may show up one day a credit. That's phenomenal. Okay. That's extremely exciting. Well, most members like it when they get a credit, of course. Of course. I would like it, too. Okay. And once when I lived in Prince George's County, uh, I was served by a rural electric co-op, but I didn't know it. And that's to me is unfortunate with uh, consumer co-ops. That's where the consumer owns the business. Too often, rural electric co-ops and credit unions and housing co-ops, too often the person doesn't know that they have a voice, that they have some say in, exactly. in operating this and, and could become a, a board member. They have mm-hmm. the right to, to run for the board. Dan, your your career has just been extremely exciting all over the world. You talked about Kenya and Bolivia and 250 projects. We're going to take our final break here already, and I really come back and talk to you more about benefits of cooperation to the extent that we have any more that you want to add to that. But really uh, look at future. Coming out of COVID, uh, what are some of the things that you can see happening with NRECA and helping to put these projects, electrify these different communities around the world, and what role you see playing in all of this? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. WOL, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. Mr. Dan Waddle, who's the senior, senior vice president of NRECA, who goes around the world and helps to engineer and put in place electrification for communities. Dan, um, there's in 2021, there's 7.8 billion people on the planet and somewhere I read in researching to talk to you that there's under 1 billion people now that don't have electrification that's like 12-13% of the world's population so what what do you see uh, NRECA being able to do to help bring in more electrification or what what do you see you're, you're doing to bring in more electrification to these different communities uh, well, we have been involved in this um, challenge over a long period of time now, uh, nearly 60 years. We'll be celebrating our 60th year of service this year. But I think that the challenge now is different than it was um, even 15 years ago, uh, principally because a lot of the, um, the massive electrification efforts that were needed to increase access to electricity I wouldn't say that they've been completed, but um, in a lot of uh, regions of the world, the job is is, is nearly done. So um, what we've seen is uh, a shift uh, in technology, uh, a shift in responsibility, and a shift in financing. So when I say a shift in technology, the early years of electrification were were focused on expansion of, of grid resources. Um, you know, central power grid extend lines out to to communities that, that, that don't have electricity. 
There are some extremely successful efforts that we happen to be a part of in, in Bangladesh and the Philippines and Central and South America that have largely run their course. What we see now is a good part of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa that still has uh, low levels of, of access. And those areas um, also have challenges with the with the reliability and the um, the sustainability and the sustainability of the of the grid systems. So expanding access to the to communities that, that don't have it will, will require a combination of some grid resources as well as as off grid, meaning solar home systems, uh, use of uh, solar diesel hybrids, and other um, renewable energy technologies. Uh, what we see as, as our role going forward is to, uh, as we have done in the past, is to look for innovative um, approaches to uh, address the the needs for electrification, uh, look for um, uh, the, the financing mechanisms which, which are going to be necessary, because in large part, the, the large donors have backed away from large infrastructure projects. Uh, so what we, what we need to see is how to, how to enable local communities uh, to, to, to gain access to the, to the finance that they need and to have access to the technical expertise that they need to, 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 uh, to address the, the, their electrification challenges. So you all provide the technical resources, NRECA. Now, NRECA was started in the 30s, the new, came under the New Deal to help electrify rural America. Okay, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So it sounds like that has been extremely successful uh, in providing electricity in the U.S. over years. And NRECA was formed and helped to take the resources from these 900 or so companies, cooperative companies, and help to electrify the world, electrify the world. Is that sort of a decent summary? Well, I'd say that our program was established in the early 60s, at the, partly at the request of the U.S. government to, to help form an electrification orientation for U.S. AID, and then to apply the, the blueprint that, that, that was developed early on to uh, establish national electrification programs. So that was done in, in, a, in a series of, of, of countries uh, in the early days. These days, the, the, the USAID doesn't take an approach like that, right? The, the, what the, the, the approach which is taken is much more on a, a, a global basis to, to define uh, electrification strategies and plans and then to work with the local governments and the multilateral development banks to uh, marshal the, the, the financing necessary to, to, to finance uh, electrification projects. So our, our role in that process is, is to provide um, uh, the, the expertise for the planning process and on a case-by-case case basis to also manage uh, electrification projects. So the planning and implementation? Yes. Okay. That's the role of... In our ECA, because you all since the 30s have gotten this experience and this knowledge of how to provide electricity in rural areas. And so you now you apply that to the rest of the world. So I've asked you once before and I'm going to ask you again because, well, I just want to hear how does your heart feel about uh, the work that you have been able to do? Well, I feel fortunate that I've had the opportunity to uh, apply my 
my knowledge and uh, to, to use my capabilities in a way that uh, has been um, beneficial to uh, the communities that our, our program has served. Uh, I guess I, I know, you know, my, my, my brothers and my, and my associates, uh, you know, to finding something, a, a career that uh, aligns with your intellectual interests and also aligns with uh, what your heart wants. It's, 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 uh, when that happens, it's, it's quite magical. Uh, so I, I just feel um, extremely appreciative that, uh, you know, I didn't have a plan when I started. I, I feel that I had, you know, just uh, a beneficiary of dumb luck in finding something that, uh, that I was, I've, I've been able to, to do and uh, to make a, a, a contribution. So, uh, you know, I, I can't say that uh, I can't imagine a career that, that, uh, that could have been more uh, satisfying than the one that I have. And it's not for everybody, but it just happened, it happens to be this way for me. So you have been nominated and you will be inducted into the Cooperative Hall of Fame on October the 6th. So somebody else has seen and, and recommended you that all of the good work that you've done. And Dan, I sat on that selection committee and blown away with your, with, with your um, resume, with your application. It's like, do you have any sense of how many communities you have been able to touch or your team has been able to touch and then take that down to how many households or how many people that your your life's work has touched and improved and helped in all of the different ways that you've talked about here? Well, I, I guess what I'll share with you and with the audience is that uh, one person alone doesn't make big contributions. I think it... Uh, one of the the things I'm just forever thankful for are the colleagues that I've worked with. Um, I think our team has had uh, the opportunities. We've also had the benefit of uh, a lot of different skill sets that uh, to, uh, together have, have made uh, significant uh, contributions. Uh, and you know, some of the, the individuals who I've worked with are extremely talented and very dedicated. All of them, you know, work very long hours. And we've also had the benefit of uh, uh, U.S. government funding, which uh, can't be discounted. So, um, yes, you know, I, I, I think that my career has, has been successful, but the impact that, that, that my career has, has had is it's not just due to my contributions. It's, it's due to a, to a team of, of uh, talented, dedicated uh, professionals and very talented and dedicated counterparts. We have played a, you know, uh, what I see as a, a significant role, but we've done so by helping others, uh, the, the, the communities themselves and the electrification institutions who we work with to make those, 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 those contributions to, to realize real, real change. And it's, it's always interesting to me. And one of the solution, one of the conclusions that I've drawn in talking to, to people, particularly co-op hall of famers is that it takes a group you talk about it takes a village to raise a child it takes a village or a group to 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 get anything accomplished so you and your team you and the team around you have done a whole lot of work and it sounds like to me and reading your bio and your application that you got the education the formal education in terms of engineering and you stumbled upon uh, with your professor's help this whole co-op world. So, Dan, I, I 
I take my hat out to you, and I, I it sounds like, and I would like one day, maybe if you would take a, a 5, 10, 20 hour or two and say, we've done 250 projects. Uh, there's so many households, like in that first one, there was a 1,000 households, 4,000 people. If you could add up how many households and how many people, and then it doubled to 2,000 households, maybe 8,000 people that you have been able to touch in a significant way. And I just applaud you for it, sir. Just applaud you for well, it. Thank you very much. I guess what I'd say is that uh, cumulatively over the, the length of the NRESA program, the number that we use right now is about 180 million people. The program has, has benefited. We've got to leave with 180 million people, and it's extremely remarkable. Thank you, Dan, so very much for being on the show and for your life's work. We really appreciate you. All right. Everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively. Fourteen fifty WOL, where information is power.